On Mother's Day 1985, Philadelphia did something unthinkable. The city had been engaged in a standoff with a radical organization called MOVE. The helicopter takes off, then... The city dropped a bomb on MOVE's headquarters, killing 11 people, five of them children. My daughters were taken away by this corrupt government! Why is it so many have never heard of the MOVE bombing? Black people will never get justice in America. The Africas versus America, available now everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. From affordability to housing, foreign interference at home to wars abroad, it's been a big year in Canadian politics. To look at the year that was and what's to come in the year ahead, we've convened our national affairs panel. Rosemary Barton is the CBC's chief political correspondent. Catherine Levesque is a parliamentary reporter with the National Post. And Tonda McCharles is a parliamentary reporter and Ottawa bureau chief with the Toronto Star. Good morning to all of you. Hi there. Hi. Good morning. Happy New Year. It's, of course, no surprise to anyone that affordability has been one of the biggest domestic stories of 2023. As the year closes out, how has it changed the political landscape? Catherine? Oh, it has dominated the political landscape. I mean, I think everyone is affected by affordability in one way or another. I mean, uh, inflation, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's been a lot stickier uh, than what we were expecting. And in, in consequence, I mean, we've seen interest rates uh, go up, right? So, um, look, I think everyone is affected by that. And I think, uh, you know, Conservative leader Pierre Polyev has been able to really use that issue to his advantage by saying that, uh, like we heard, in the intro that everything is broken, that Canada is broken and, you know, people are struggling. And he has been able to pin it on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, say, saying that everything is his fault. Uh, the reality, as we know, is, is a lot more complicated. Um, you know, certainly a, a lot of uh, the inflation has to do with uh, events on the world stage. Um, we're also, you know, coming out of a pandemic. Uh, so, you know, rise, rise in, in costs has to do with a lot of these global factors. Yes. But the reality is that Canadians are hurt. And I think, you know, that's really what uh, the, the message that uh, the government has been forced to respond to this year. Absolutely hurting. And Tonda, no less in the area of housing. And so I wondered, you know, the government has made big housing announcements this year, but Canada still needs to build 3.5 million homes by 2023 to restore affordability. What are you expecting to see in the new year on that file? Um, look, more political pressure, more political pressure by the Conservatives on the federal Liberal government and putting the blame on the Trudeau Liberals for the housing crisis, even as they know it's a very complex file with which needs, you know, solutions at all levels of government to tackle. So more political pressure on the government, but also more announcements, because you're right, they've made a bunch of big housing announcements in previous months in response to the Conservatives' attack on them. And I think, so you'll see yeah. cities and municipalities across Canada um, want to get a cut of, you know, this big $4 billion pot of money Ottawa's rolled out to help them build fa homes faster. I think you'll see more big announcements. Look, we saw uh, finally Toronto, the biggest city, uh, got in on that fund just before Christmas. Now, I'll be, I'll be looking to see, will Ottawa put more money into that? And what other levers they try to use? Because they've kind of done a lot of the low-hanging fruit right now. They've taken sales tax off, uh, you know, um, projects that are going to build more rental housing. Yeah. They, they've tweaked the financial rules to help builders get access to lower, um, lower financing costs to build. So it, it's, it's, 
and, and, you know, we also saw them just before Christmas, you know, tackle the idea of, you know, changing the tax structure for Airbnbs right. and, uh, to try and expand rental housing. Will they do that kind of thing? You know, what more of that can they do? Really what they need is they need to have uh, cities, municipalities, and also private sector builders buy into what's some of the measures that are out there, uh, right. you know, because because the housing minister himself has said that even half of the money that they've all the billions they've already committed has yet to be spent. Yes, absolutely. And of course, a topic that will still uh, be major as we go into this next year. But let's for a moment, Rosie, we have you back now, turn to foreign affairs, because that has had an impact on the political landscape as well. The government has been walking a, a line when it comes to the Israel-Hamas war, both voting for a humanitarian ceasefire at the UN and supporting Israel's right to defend itself. Politically, can you talk about the impact that this crisis is having on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his government? Yeah, I, I think it's it's significant, and it's significant uh, for, for lots of politicians in the world right now. I mean, certainly President Biden is also struggling to, to find a way to, to deal with the humanitarian crisis in Gaza and maintain support for Israel. That is the same thing that we're seeing in Canada. The difference, of course, is that we are not a significant player in that conversation. We are not the ones at the table trying to... Uh, influence what Israel is doing. So we're doing sort of what we always call, you know, the, the, the middle power work, mm-hmm. standing with Australia and New Zealand to try and get Israel to, to change its tack. Um, I think that there has been, though, an awful lot of internal pressure uh, on the government to change or the prime minister didn't like that when I said that word to him the other day, but for the position to evolve uh, into something that, yes, uh, allows Israel to continue to defend itself. But deals with the fact that there are tens of thousands of humans that that civilians that are dead uh, in Gaza and and that that has to change. And I think that this is a much more significant domestic issue for this government uh, than a foreign policy issue. They they have uh, a lot of support in the Jewish community and that UN vote. Uh, upset a lot of people. Yeah, indeed. And it's also an issue that's dividing the Liberal caucus. So, Catherine, I'm, I'm wondering, despite that, it hasn't really been a major topic at question period. Why is that? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> the reason is simple. is is because uh, so, so the NDP and the Bloc Québécois support a ceasefire. So they were very happy with the government's position when it indeed uh, evolved. Um, the the only ones that don't support a ceasefire in the House of Commons are, are the Conservatives. And uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're not attacking the Liberals on this front, at least not in QP. And it's because uh, the Conservatives are actively courting a number of cultural communities across Canada. You know, you'll, we'll see Pierre Polyev every weekend. He'll be in a mosque, in a synagogue. He'll be in a temple. So right. he is, you know, just going everywhere. And he is very much uh, courting the Muslim community, Muslim votes um, that we know, well, yes. you know, that population is constantly growing in Canada, becoming more organized. Uh, so it's it's kind of been an interesting dynamic where you know, conservatives have been really picking and choosing where and when they will talk about maybe more controversial issues. Yeah. Um, we, we've seen that strategy play out uh, in, in, you know, in different subjects like parental rights, where the Tories won't talk about this or, you know, won't insist about this in, in question period mm-hmm. and kind of stick to cost of living issues, but will, for instance, put out a statement or tweet uh, stating their position to satisfy right. their supporters. Um, so really on, on this whole Israel-Hamas ceasefire, the Tories 
have really chosen to remain very prudent in their public statements. Sometimes we'll see Melissa Lansman or some other MPs attack the Liberals on social media, but that's about it, uh, mm. just because they want to, uh, you know, they, they want to keep their support um, among uh, Muslim voters. For sure. Uh, another big international story, of course, uh, in, in September, Justin Trudeau accused the Indian government of being involved in the assassination of a Sikh leader in, Brit- in British Columbia. How is that incident still impacting the government and Canada's relations with India, Tonda? Um, well, those relations are bad and they don't look like they'll improve anytime soon. Um, you know, India reacted very differently to Canada's allegations of a murder plot linked to an Indian government agent uh, in, in Canada, very differently to the allegations that the U.S. has levied via an indictment, a criminal indictment. And look, until Canada is in a position where there is an RCMP um, arrest, uh, an investigation that actually reaches the courts, I don't see any indication from the Indian government that they'll change that attitude anytime soon. Right now, things are in a deep freeze. You know, free trade talks are shelved. Uh, there's two-thirds of Canada's diplomatic corps in India has been withdrawn. And so that affects people uh, trying to do business with India. It affects all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So look, it's not going to look, it doesn't, until we see that arrest or, or arrests, and if we do, even then, let's face it, Canadian courts move things very slowly along. So don't expect change soon. Despite the Prime Minister's assertion of a tonal shift, as he mentioned in that interview with, with Rosie. But moving right along, uh, Rosemary, if we can get to election interference, Justice Marie-Josée Og has been appointed to lead an inquiry examining foreign interference in Canadian elections. And it is set to start uh, working in the new year. What are you watching for from that inquiry? Well, first of all, I mean, we, we had some news on that front yesterday that Ugg has already asked for an extension to deliver her interim report, uh, which is supposed to be due in February, and now it's been agreed by opposition parties in the government it'll be uh, in early May. I, I think this is um, it, it's kind of fascinating to me, because around this time last year, this was all we were talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Foreign yeah. insurance for months and months and months. Um, and then there, a couple of things happened. A, the government sort of woke up and realized after a lot of pressure that it did need to do something more after sort of that disastrous outcome with the David Johnston report where uh, the opposition parties went after him and his reputation. So they, they cobbled together this public inquiry and everyone agreed on the person to, to lead it. Um, but you think about it, I mean, the story is like almost effectively dead, right, in terms of where Very and how quiet. often we talked about it. Yeah, yeah and I think, I think that politically is has been quite astute on the government's part once they finally got around to managing it. And I also think there's been a realization, particularly from the Conservatives, that this was not the issue um, to, 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 to dig into day after day to yeah. damage the government, that it really was about cost of living. So listen, it's still important. It's important Canadians understand that our democracy is secure. So perhaps from that perspective, there'll be some reassurance. But I think politically, it has just become a, a, a far less toxic story than it was. Yeah. At the same time, the Conservative Party was denied um, standing at the inquiry. Uh, and and Justice Ogue has, has cautioned against the politicization of the process. And maybe that helped quiet it down as well. Catherine, h- how effective do you think the inquiry will be? 
well, frankly, I, I do have some concerns, um, not so much about Justice Hugg's um, capacity to lead the inquiry. Um, you know, p- people in the Quebec justice system say she is excellent and, and has excellent judgment. And, and frankly, all political parties agreed to have her lead this process. So I think she's qualified to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I am a little concerned about the conservatives uh, trying to discredit her work before it even officially starts, um, a bit like what we saw with David Johnston last year. Um, the other concern I have is the limited time frame that we'll have for public hearings. So uh, the inquiry will be in two phases, uh, the first one uh, really being on uh, f- foreign interference in the last two elections. I think that's that's the more political, the more explosive maybe uh, phase of, it, of this inquiry. Uh, until now, I mean, what, uh, what we've heard from the commission is that we're only expecting to have five days of hearings, of public hearings for the first, for this first phase. Um, so that really seems insufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if we have more. I mean, with the extension that was just granted, I mean, maybe that could change. Uh, but uh, the reality is, is a lot of this work will be behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this work uh, also has to do with very sensitive intelligence. And we understand that. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know if this will really restore public confidence in um in our elections i think this is just the start of of a very long process two more issues on the foreign front and then we get back to uh, our final question on on the, the the local scene but tonda ukraine you know uh it's faced a massive barrage of missiles overnight again but nearly two years into the war, political support is waning in the states where there's real doubt about whether a bill with new funding for the war can make it through Congress. What are we seeing here? Are there any signs of the same kind of fatigue? Um, look, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there. I think that, um, that while the consensus in the U.S. has broken down, we haven't seen that same breakdown in consensus uh, in Canada, but there are signs that the Liberal government is looking at and worrying about and uh, wondering whether it will affect the consensus here. I mean, the the Conservative, among the Conservative Party supporters are um, a number of people who don't uh, support um, being involved in a faraway war. As, uh, I think as Mr. Poiliev at one point referred to the, the war in Ukraine. Um, and we saw the Conservatives vote against a uh, Canada-Ukraine free trade agreement, ostensibly on the basis that it promoted carbon pricing, even though Ukraine already says it has a certain amount of that and is is in support of this treaty itself. So, look, it's hard to say if that's going to grow. I think that um, right now the Liberal government is all in on backing Ukraine, and the Conservatives, when they talk about the, when when Pierre Poilievre talks about Ukraine and the war in Ukraine, he talks about it more in terms of the domestic concerns and support for Ukrainian Canadians, and um, he he doesn't address sort of the nub of it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's worth watching, and I think that certainly, um, you know, that's something that the Liberal government is wary of and looking for signs of. Is that fatigue penetrating here? We just have a few minutes left, and I want to have each of you weigh in on on the the year ahead in terms of leadership. And so speaking of Pierre Poliev, Catherine, um, he seems to be in full campaign mode. And, and, you know, some of his messaging has been resonating on the national stage. What are you expecting to see from him in in 2024? A lot more videos and documentaries on social media. <laughs> so I think we'll, we'll see a lot more of that. <laughs> 
but in all seriousness, I, I think that Pierre Polyev had a, a, a you know very good year, 2023, and his party remains high in the polls. Um, I'll be interested to see if he maintains that lead throughout 2024, and I'll be looking at uh, three factors specifically. The first one being that liberals have realized that they have to fight back and have started started doing so sometimes in very awkward ways uh but they're you know starting to try to define Pierre Polyev so we'll see if that has any effect the second point I'll look at is the economy because it might you know might be doing a bit better in the next year we'll see you know inflation maybe coming down right yeah. now it's about three percent interest rates might start going down eventually maybe in the second half of the year we'll see uh so that might undercut Polyev's message that okay. uh, that everything is broken and lastly uh, i think we should not an- underestimate the impact of the u.s election and the possibility of another trump presidency i think uh you know the liberals are, are determined to associate Polyev to maga style politics and hoping that the message will so uh, that's what I'll, I'll be looking out for for um, on the conservative front. That's great. And very quickly, Tonda uh, and then Rosemary, what will you be looking for in 2024 as the battle for leadership in Canada ramps up? Look, uh, some of the same things, really. And, uh, you know, the, I guess the, the, the flip side of one coin, right? How does Pierre Poiliev hold together a broader coalition and, and, and solidify support beyond a base? How does he discipline backbench MPs who might threaten uh, that, that, that broader coalition with, with some of, you know, what one, of, one conservative strategist used to call bozo eruptions? Like, how does he keep a cap on that? <laughs> on the flip side, how does Justin Trudeau make voters come back to him? Right. Um, he's lost a lot. And we haven't even mentioned the but does Jagmeet Singh's support within his caucus hold? Does his support for the deal, the governing deal with the Liberals hold? Um, those are all uh, big questions in my mind over the next few months. Yes, and Singh just uh, came out saying that he's ruling out a coalition government with, with uh, the Liberals uh, should that come to pass in, in 2025. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But Rosemary, last word to you. You had an interview with the Prime Minister and he said he had no plans to step down as Liberal leaders. As a Liberal leader, what needs to happen do you think, uh, to Tonda's point, to restore yeah. public faith in his leadership? Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, he can say nothing but that, right? <laughs> like he can't, he can't say, I've been thinking about it. I'm with my family in Jamaica this week. Maybe I don't want this job anymore. Right. He has to say that in order to uh, to continue to govern. But I, I, I genuinely, genuinely also believe that 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 is where his head is at right now. That that he still thinks that he is the one to take on Pierre Poilievre. There is a little bit of of ego at play there, I think, as well. Um, I would say that he has a couple of months here, a couple of months where the poll need to improve and you need to see him hitting back harder as Catherine said as he did sort of in the end of the year and at that point then um, I, I think it probably all things point to him sticking around to the next election I would also say that there is nobody there are lots of people organizing and who are getting little teams together but I don't know of anyone yet who's wielding the knife loudly but if he can't get those polls numbers up in the next uh, couple of months the, the knives may start to sharpen so I, I think you'll see him become more aggressive um, and try to contrast his vision of the country with Pierre Poilievre. I think he genuinely thinks that he has a case to make. The problem, I think, is that he's waited too long to make it. It's wonderful to hear from all of you. Thank you so much for your insights. Thanks, Nala. Thank you. You're welcome. Rosemary Barton is the CBC's chief political correspondent. Catherine Levesque is the parliamentary reporter with the National Post. And Tonda McCharles is parliamentary reporter and Ottawa bureau chief with the Toronto Star. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.